The Production Expert Podcast with James Ivey, Julian Rogers and Eli Kranzberg. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Production Expert Podcast number 387. It's the 16th of September, 2019. My name's James Ivey. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Eli Kranzberg. For the whole of September, Z-Plane are offering a 33% saving on Elastic AAX, Z-Plane's pitch and time manipulation plugin for Pro Tools. Instead of the standard price of €299, Elastic AAX is available for €199, a saving of €100 until the end of the month. We also have other great deals from our partners like Audionamics, Avid, Editor's Keys and Softube on our deals page. Okay, so it's time for our talking points and these are sponsored by our friends at Arturia. Hello experts and listeners, Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia are very pleased to announce the new AudioFuse 8 Pre, 8-channel rack-mounted USB-C audio interface, featuring eight of Arturia's stunning-sounding AudioFuse mic pre's, two pairs of monitor outputs, two pairs of headphone outputs, reamp outputs, as well as SPDIF, 16 channels of ADAT optical, and a three-port USB hub, Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. <laughs> this thing is truly fully loaded. You can find out more about the AudioFuse 8 Pre at the link below in the show notes and guess what boys and girls i've got one so review to follow as i believe they say great so first talking point this evening um this one is a good one considering you have two drummers in the room the the metaphorical room of course new york style drum compression now when julian said this to me this morning i went what's that then he went well Take up the story, Julian. <laughs> um, I'm confused by this because we have like British style compression and New York style compression. And can we just give things names that describe what they actually are? But that's what a lot of people describe describe this as. Basically, it's parallel drum compression setting up a crush bus in the way that we're all familiar with. For some reason, well, it's uh, presumably because somebody thinks it was invented in New York. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> well, well, okay, let me let me uh, add a bit of more nuance to it. The real New York-style drum compression is when the parallel compression is on a mono track. Uh, I think it happened, it started in the old days, you know, with analog boards where they'd physically patch the outputs to another strip where they would detect, you know, the left and right sum together. And then you'd put your parallel compression on there and dial it up, but it was a mono channel. So the real technical, official, legit, New York style compression is mono. And there's an interesting article on Logic Pro Expert that my colleague Andy Cherna did about a year ago where he really explains it in detail. But that is the legit, you know, original New York style drum compression where it's mono. Okay. Do we do it? Who does it? I don't do it. Uh, I do it sometimes. And I, you know what? I really like it with guitars doing parallel compression like that. If I've got pan guitars and I bust them to a mono bus and apply some some compression and dial those up the middle, I I really like that vibe with that sort of glue coming up the middle to, you know, the sound of hard pan guitars is a very dramatic, identifiable sound that draws the listener's attention. And I find putting that mono signal compressed up the middle helps sort of tie it all together and not draw as much attention to it. So anyway, that's that's with the guitars. But for New York style drum compression, I, I don't often or always do mono, but I sometimes do, and it's got a different vibe to it. So but, for those of you um, po- playing podcast bingo this evening, get your dabbers ready. Um, 
a little while ago, I went to a place in France to do a course called Mix with the Masters. Cha-ching. And after said course, I, I said I would do, I wanted to do three others. I wanted to do um, the Greg Wells one, because the whole end-to-end workflow, write a song while you're there, yada, yada. I wanted to do the Chad Blake one for his old take on saturation and distortion and kind of stuff like that. But the other one I really wanted to do is the Andrew Sheps one, because he, uh, I think, in the current world, seems to be the master of parallel, parallel compression, parallel pretty much everything that can be paralleled. Um, Because I don't really do it. I really don't. I'm very much... uh, No, I I really don't. I just do kind of compression on the thing and I try and get my compression ratios right so I get the sound that I want. Um, We've spoken plenty of times on the podcast and on the blog about, you know, overcooking a compressor and then going, oh, well, I'll just undo all that harm I did by dialing back the mix knob. You took took my thunder there, James. I was just (laughs) revving up from my tirade of bile about that. Man, I can't believe you guys. If you haven't tried parallel compression, James, it's it's a game changer. Oh, I hate that word. Okay, it's a a dramatic difference. You really got to experiment with it. It, it, It's really fantastic. Eli, for future reference, when you say game changer, you have to wear a black T-shirt and shout it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's. It, I think it's because it's. It's not something I've ever. It's not a sound I've gone for. Oh, you I've guys probably, are missing out. I've probably used it because I've used some of these or Andrew Shep's Waves plugins and things like that. Um, his um, what was the original one called? The the particles. F- that particles. One? I really, really liked because it was. It was so. You know, in some ways, you don't really have to know what you're doing. You dial in the sound till you like it, and you accept that there's these magical things going on in the background. Um, and yes, I would probably do very well to learn more about the, the mythical parallel compression. All right, Eli, in um, five five points why I would love parallel compression. Okay. On the it's spot. funny, you know, you, you know, when I saw that we were going to be talking about this today, I was thinking, oh man, it's great. I'm going to really get into it with James. I want to, you know, really compare notes and, you know. It's In fact, you're actually teaching of- me, mate. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Here's one of the things about parallel compression that I, I don't want to say don't like, but prefer to do differently. I, I'm not a fan of the modern drum compressed drum sound where there's a really quick attack and you hear this really, tr- especially on snares, but in, in, on the kit in general, when you hear a really truncated attack and then the sustain is really, you know, predominant. I don't like that style of compression, which I know is popular in a lot of... That's when you get that kind of breath sound. <sighs> Almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't like that. And a lot of people uh, do that for the parallel compression bus and you dial a bit of it in and, you know, that that's one vibe or technique and it works. But I actually kind of like the opposite for drum compression in general, but specifically parallel compression, where I like a really slow attack so that I get the meat of the attack, you know, of the, of the hit of the strike of the drum. I don't want it cut off. I want to hear the meat of it. And then I like a long release. People always also like a really quick release to get that pumping sound. I don't want that unnatural pumping sound. I personally don't like it, but uh, I like a slow attack and a relatively slow release. So it's a big, thick, fat sound and it stays fat. You know, it doesn't, you don't get that pumping. And then I dial that up. So that to me really adds to the impact of the drum's sound, where a lot of people traditionally use um, New York style compression for that truncated quick attack and that over-exaggerated sustain. And then they just dial a bit of that up you know, to blend in, to get more of the sustain of the drum, which is, you know, which is fine. It's just not my personal taste for doing it. So you're um, suggesting in this 
and this is one of five, by the way, Eli. So, oh, so okay. get yourself set up. Okay. Um, so you're suggesting in this case that the the parallel bus is actually another channel on your DAW mixer. Absolutely. Right. No, no, so you're that, not that, suggesting that you just dial back the 100% function no. on, on your, your drum bus compressor or something like Definitely that. Definitely not. Okay, Definitely cool. Not. Right. Yeah. So, sorry, Julian, once again, just taking that one from you as well. <laughs> okay, no, for a couple of reasons. Okay, now you might ask why, why, okay? Because, you know, this thing with having a mix knob and a compressor, it's great, but it's not the same as true parallel compression. Now, in the case of drums, you might not always want to do this, but you have the freedom to dial in different amounts of sends from each of the drums to this parallel compression bus. So that's one advantage. You might not want, I don't know, your kick drum or your tom mics, your hi-hat, whatever. You have freedom to adjust what's going into it in a different blend where you don't get if it's just a, a mix knob on your main bus. And the other, which is now my point number two, the really beautiful thing about running a separate bus for parallel drum compression is you can process it with something other than compression. You can put EQ on it or, or distortion. I did it. I don't know if you guys saw, but I did a, a little post and video on Logic Pro Expert this week um, where I showed about using Logic's saturation. They have a, a multi-effects unit called Fat Effects, and there's really lovely sounding distortion and saturation module in it that not a lot of people sort of talk about or use, and I think it's very underrated. So I put that on my parallel bus before the compression to really saturate and overdrive the sound for, you know, for a specific vibe. So... Yeah, by putting it on a separate track, you have the freedom to get really creative by putting all kinds of other processing on there if you want. You know, specifically, you know, tape saturation or whatever kinds of, of saturation that you want. But that's a big advantage. EQ, cool. another another often claimed, you know, legit way of doing New York style drum compression is that you follow the compressor with a smiley face EQ, you know, where you're boosting the lows and the highs and dipping the mids a bit. So that's the other great thing is on a parallel bus, you can EQ it differently too, either before or after the compression, but you can get your parallel New York style drum compression bus with a you know slightly different tonal response. Um, I hate to be hogging all the conversation here, but you know what you were saying about Andrew Sheps using it on you know, this idea of parallel processing for all kinds of instruments. Mm -hmm. Kenny Joya is, you know, is, is often spoken about, and this is a wonderful technique. I've tried it for a lead vocal sending out to a parallel bus and rolling off all low end EQ. So you're just going to be compressing the high end, like really high, like maybe five or six K and up. And on your parallel bus, have just that signal in there and compress that and dial that in. It adds a real nice, bright, tight top end to the vocal. Hmm. You know, another slight, you know, variation on, on the idea of parallel compression. So yeah, so mono uh, up the middle, adding all kinds of other processing to it and compressing in a manner that you might not compress, you know, in your main drum bus. That's the other advantage. You can get a different type of compression. And, you know, you would specifically want a different type of compression so that you can blend it in. Okay. I'm going to let you off the other three because you have done exceptionally well. Top <laughs> marks to Eli. I'm back. Uh, Julian, you referred to this earlier as, I, I believe your term was a crush bus. Um, please discuss. <laughs> it's That's something I don't really do, but I've kind of, I've got a... Um, I've I've taken issue in the past with uh, uh, with using parallel compression as a, as a, as an alternative to learning to use a compressor properly. Now that doesn't apply to everyone who uses parallel compression by any means, but I've, it's something I've seen, um, and uh, and it's it's not good. And I, I've I've always tried to steer people away from going to parallel compression, not because kind of like oh it's it's too cool and you're not ready yet which is, is very often what people kind of assume I mean when I'm trying to 
Um, I'm talking about students here. I mean, I'll just drop the S word. <laughs> Ching! Right yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah, it's good. We get, we get a full house. Um, and that's not what it is at all. It's that, no, 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 first learn to use a compressor and then learn to use a compressor differently from how it's intended to be used. Not because it's better or because it's cooler, just because you're undoing what it, you're making it harder to hear. So why would you learn compression, making it more difficult to hear mm. when people struggle to hear it when they're starting to use it as, as much as they do? So that's that's my my thoughts on that. But um, it, the thing I thought was interesting was what this this business about uh, running running uh, parallel compression in mono is something that I I don't think I've necessarily thought about before. So I mean, it's good that Eli raised it, and I I, I did see that in your piece on on um, Logic Pro Expert. And it makes absolute sense when you when you think about it, just because if you think about what's happening, I mean, the good thing about uh, running parallel compression, of course, is that you're letting the transients pass um, less affected uh, than they otherwise would be because they're, they're coming through on the parallel path along with the, com- the compressed version. So great, but you're bringing up the average level and you bring up the density in the middle and everything, but you're leaving it thinner and more transienty on the sides and then kind of meteor and less transienty in the middle. And that makes perfect sense from a kind of like how you'd choose to lay out a stereo image, absolutely, with detail on the edges and high average level. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, thickness. Um, Something something else that kind of uh, always ends up bothering me about this kind of technique and this ties into something we've spoken about quite recently. It's just that if you effectively what you're doing is you're rather than uh, increasing the level of, of uh, the uh, low level information and bringing down the level of the peaks, you're leaving the peaks more or less unaffected while bringing up the level the, the low level information, which is great. But down there is noise, and particularly on something like a drum recording, the spill. And this is where when you start doing stuff like that, things can start to get really unpleasant if you use a lot of it, just because if you think about the kind of things that you that you necessarily don't want to bring up too much in some recordings, very often it's, it's spill and it's bad sound that's coming off axis from various points. And if, you do, if you're doing it as well as it can be done, then that isn't a problem. If your kit sounds fantastic and your mic placement's absolutely correct and there's everything's in your favour, but very often that isn't the case. And you can make your recording less pleasant rather than more pleasant, and ultimately that's the point. So, I think what's interesting, say, from my point of view, is that you've both said that you apply a certain level of maybe nastiness to this this parallel bus. Maybe you'll yeah. put some distortion or you'll saturate it or you'll, you'll maybe over-compress it. You'll compress it quite hard. Yeah. Now, in... The real world, perhaps I do do this, but I'm doing it in a kind of slightly more mechanical means. I actually have what I call my my grot mic in the room, mm. and it kind of like a 58 or a 57 pointing straight down, somewhere between, somewhere above the kick drum, off towards the right, near the ride cymbal. You know, it. Some people call it the crotch mic or the the grot mic or the whatever. I'll then have that. And I'll compress the living out of it. So mm. I mean, so it sounds it sounds revolting. Maybe yeah. distort it. Maybe yeah, EQ it. Similar, whatever. You're getting a similar effect. Yeah, yeah, you're bringing up a lot of room though when you do that. But yeah, yeah. but you but you don't necessarily you're not bringing it up to the same level as the rest of the kit. But it can right. add some interest and some grit. Certainly to the kick drum and, and like the toms, you can get an, a little bit of 
I suppose grit is the best word for it. Yeah. You, you don't. It doesn't really mess with the sparkle of the symbols too much because they're not. You know, you, you put in techniques so you're not really the symbols aren't triggering it. Was well, something else I'd kind of bring into that would be. I mean, we're talking about saturation and distortion effects and putting a little bit of that on. And I I see it in terms of the, like there's a bit of a, a bit of a continuum <laughs> between yeah. compression. And saturation, because when you saturate, when you distort something, not only are you introducing harmonic distortion, you're also reducing the, the, the peaks, you're reducing the dynamic range, necessarily by squaring off the tops of the waveforms. Yeah, so I agree, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of doing the same thing from a, from a different... Because, I mean, for, for something like this, I mean, let's talk about compression choice, because I think what we're going to find is if we're talking about what plugins or hardware we'd use for this, we're probably talking about using things that, people describe as having a bit of dirt and a bit of colour. And basically, <laughs> it's it's distortion, isn't it? Mm. You know, so we're, we're definitely... I mean, I don't think these things quite meet in the middle, but they're definitely opposite ends of mm. this, of a similar thing. Yeah, I mean, my, my grot mic has got an EQ on it that's normally rolled off to get rid of any top any extraneous top end. Uh, it's got an 1176 on it, and it's probably got some sort of distortion. My favourite for a long time was the Sans Amp PSA1 plugin that came with Pro Tools. Oh, that because really I, has got some oh, distortion yeah, yeah. on it there. Yeah. <laughs> now, because I had the hardware, a lot of people say, oh, I can never get it to do anything other than fizz. Actually, because I had the hardware and I'd spent a long time with the hardware, and it's one of those units I wish I'd never sold. You know, it's, it's one of those pieces. Um, I know that plugin really really well to get some actually very good guitar sounds out of it even now mm. um but i i use that I, i've I've been known to use psa1 for vocal distortions things like that just Age, ages ago i used to use it on bass almost or, almost in excluding anything else um uh i did a long time ago i did a piece um just about what do those different controls do Mm. On the sand tap because they, they've got slightly unhelpful names as far as I'm concerned. Buzz and fizz and yeah, and, and yeah. They're, they're just they're just different different parts of the spectrum. That's yes, all. exactly. Um, well, nearly all of them are. But no, I, sh- I should I should kind of I don't know I should resurrect that one just because it is really useful and it's such a great plugin. You're absolutely right. I, I don't think I've ever used it on drums actually, but it used to live on my bass guitar tracks. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a great mm. plugin for being able to add grit. Yeah, um, so you're doing it a different way. Yeah, I'm just doing it. So it sounds like I'm doing exactly what we're talking about, but it, say in a more um, mechanical hardware means, which is mm. it's kind of cool. I, I'm happy with that. I do like this idea about stereo pan guitars I, and then putting yeah. the, the mono at the middle. Now, in that case, and I'm I appreciate I'm going down a road for my own personal gains, but hey, that's, that's the joys of being in the chair. Um, when you're doing say. Uh, a rhythm guitar part, or acoustic guitar, rhythm guitar, and I, normally I would double them up, pan them hard left and right. Right, that's and, the perfect time to do this. And then what yeah. you're suggesting is create a bus from those two rhythm guitar parts. Yep. Compress them hard, or just compress them to a, I, a, I mean, a likable level. I you know experiment and see, but you know. Yeah, I'm asking yeah. for absolutes, of course, and this is not yeah. a. Uh, it's not the way this this whole subject works, but so you, so compress them a little bit, see what works, push it a bit more. If it doesn't work, then pull it back. I like yeah. that. I love the idea of bringing it into a mono, having the mono dead center. I like that a lot. Yeah, I would you know try it, compressing it more than you would think to normally, and then just dialing a little bit of it in rather than keeping it at equal levels with mm-hmm. the hard pan channels. But you know, try it and see. Cool. I like that a lot. Now, there's another aspect to parallel compression that 
you got to be really careful about, and that's latency, because I find some plugins, you know, I don't know if this is a logic thing, but I I got to be careful. Sometimes there's phasing that starts happening, you know, with, the, with depending, I find, I don't want to, I hate to mention, you know, manufacturers' names, but I find a lot of the Waves compressors, I get into trouble when I'm using specific, some specific Waves compressors on parallel buses and not on the main bus. I get, you know, some slight phasing and problems like that. So you got to be careful with that. Because plug-in compensation isn't always plug-in compensation. It's, you know, it it's the, the plug-in has to report its latency correctly yeah. to the DAW. But I mean, the way to test that is just to have, uh, either you can do the doubling up thing of just having the same stuff, but leaving some bypassed. Yeah, I've or tried ju- that or too. Just, or, just knock it, or just knock it out um, uh, with, the, uh, with the compressor in bypass and see if it nulls. And if it doesn't, then yeah, it's wrong. Yeah. I mean, you'll hear it right away. I, in my case, you know, I, I hear it right away when it's a dramatic problem and, when, you know, when it's noticeable. And mm. yeah, I, I've spoken to Waves about it and we've been back and forth with tech support and sort of danced around it and never quite got it sorted out fully. <laughs> you know? So, okay, there, there is um there was an interesting conversation I had recently. Um, there's a company who I'll, I'll, I'll shout out on here. Um, uh, Baby Audio released iHeartNY recently mm-hmm. and it's it's a plugin designed specifically to do this um it's a new york style parallel compressor and it's a one knob compressor and an output knob and uh and, and like a mix control if you like and i mean they they say that they've you know specifically designed the compression to you know to suit this role but the the thing that intrigued me and i, I followed it up with them and asked them to kind of explain what they meant was they were saying um how uh, it wasn't just a mix control. Uh, it was uh, it, it kind of it duplicated the audio path and then kind of it. Uh, uh, I remember reading about that. Yeah, the, I didn't really understand what they meant. So I asked yeah. them, and, the, and they gave me a very thorough answer, which I'm yeah very very uh, grateful for because I do now get it. And what it is is in this you have um, you've got a compression control and you've got an output control because there's some gain stuff that happens when you do compression, obviously. Um, and then you've got a fader that looks like it's going to be a, uh, a mix control, but as I understand it, it isn't. What it is, it's a fader for the parallel signal. Um, so you're so it's it's like running out to you know a, a bus in your DAW without having to do that, which some right. people find complicated. Personally, I don't at all, and I, I'm kind of every every the teacher inside me must go, no, you must learn. But you know, okay, some people you can do what you want. It's However, great flexibility having it on a separate bus because you can dial up the mount without having to open a plugin. You know, just by looking at sure, the mixer, absolutely, yeah, and, and some workflow stuff. But yeah. there is a technical difference in here that hadn't occurred to me before, and that's why I bring it up. And that's that. Um, the taper on a uh, on on a mix control isn't really suitable for this kind of thing, just because it gives you all of this range that you're never ever going to use. Now, I don't think anybody <laughs> has ever deliberately set um, set a mix control to be ten percent wet on compression. You know what I mean? It's like you're just yeah. not going to do that. You're you're going to be up in the top twenty percent. You know, you're going to be dialing uh, not in. Not with parallel compression. I mean, like when I have it on a separate fader, sometimes I just bring it up, you know, to minus 10 or minus 12 and, and you know, it depends. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And I mean, yeah, this is a, um, but what I'm saying is on, you you don't go all the way down to minus infinity on it. No, and and there's, there's very little point running it. I, I revise my figure, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that's not really what you're 
going to get, I mean, when I say 20%, I'm probably talking about 20% of the rotation of a mix knob, really, just because okay. the taper falls away too quickly. Whereas yeah. what this is is a much more linear fader, which means that the the you're getting a similar interaction and a similar taper is the word I'm looking for against the and it, it, it that makes that makes an appreciable difference. I had a go on it and it was I I can see what they've done actually. I mean for me, um, I would much rather set up the routing and do it. Yeah what I'd call properly. So that because of that kind of like, okay, but I realise that's not for everyone. So that's not specifically criticising this product. But it did make a point that hadn't occurred to me before. Um, which brings me back to, uh, um, this is all about the sound of the specific compressor that you're using on that bus. So in that case, Eli, you in Logic use the VCA one that looks like a kind of like a Focusrite Red type one in the Yeah, Logic I mean, that's compressor. what I used in that video because I wanted to stick with Logic plugins, but I often use third-party ones. But uh, that, you know, to me, that parallel compression bus, that's also a chance to experiment with, you know, some of the compressors I don't often always get to use, you know, just drive them hard and some of the extreme ones. But yeah, I do like that that red one in Logic for this type of thing. I find it the most aggressive of, of them, which I, you know, like. Not, I like it on kick drums too, that red one. It's fantastic. I'm surprised. I mean, it's not something I've really used because I, I, I very rarely spend any time in Logic. But I mean, there is like a, a FET style um, for that yeah. Logic compressor. Yeah, and, you, and you don't use that over because that's the one that I would have... I would have assumed you'd have used in that. You know, role. I'm gonna I'm gonna let out a dirty little secret I've been harboring all this time. <gasps> I'm not a huge fan of the 1176 sound on drums. I, I just find get it out. too quick. Just, just get out. No, <laughs> Is this I, a good time for me to mention <laughs> SM57s? <laughs> no, 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 no. I I, I much prefer like a two way or something. But but no, the, the 1176. I just find the attack is too quick. I, I just don't like that. I mean, I'm not saying I never use it. I never like it. But in general, I don't naturally gravitate towards an 1176. Oh, okay. for, and you said that you drums. prefer more relaxed times as well. So. Yeah, more attack for sure. I like the slower attack better. It just And then a longer release. I like driving that hard. Then it's, uh, to me, a more natural sound, less the pumping sound. And that's what gives that thickness. But that's my own thing. You know, that that's my taste. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Okay. And James, your your, your preferred uh, compressor is, is, is no compressor at all. It's... it's distortion in a, a peculiar microphone yeah i mean to be honest um on the kit as a whole now i don't put compression on individual drums um the, when i got the new kit my sonar sq2 there's a plug um paul drew was the first guy around here to do a session with me and we were trying to work out why the bass drum sounded so bad it was like oh, oh. and i was like what they, they don't sound like that in the room and i went oh the compressors are on click mm -hmm. and it was like ah oh, there it is and there's that big fat proper rock and roll kick drum sound mm -hmm. which we were after and to be honest i say i don't know what paul does on the, the tracks that he mixes for when i'm playing but and i suspect there is um compression all sorts of things in there if i'm if i'm doing it in the box mix it's quite funny if i'm mixing in the box i will put an ssl style um bus compressor on the drum submix. Yeah, I like that. If two. I'm yeah. mixing on the console, I won't bother. I'll just sort of just make it work in in my kind of um semi-summed workflow. And that's because your hardware bus compressor in the desk is already across the mix? It is, yes. Right. Okay. So this is, you know, I mean this is very much what I thought when Eli first mentioned doing New York style compression in mono. And I thought, well, if you've got to tie up an entire 
compressor to it, then it's probably going to be one, isn't it? You know, because mm. um, you, oh, know, you know, another. I'm curious your take on this, James. Another inherent problem I find with drum compression on a on a bus, whether it's parallel or, or the main bus. You and I both have rooms with low ceilings, and I find the crash cymbals. You got to really be careful because that's where the compression. If there's too much compression, it's going to really give them that pumping kind of sound in a not nice way. Which is what I was talking about earlier about the. The negative effects and what I was bringing, yeah, okay, referring yeah. to as noise. noise. I mean, it yeah. is kind of noise, you know. Symbol, symbols uh, are noisy, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but it, uh, that's it, where I find this trouble is with the crash symbols. What's What's really funny is I I did a gig on Saturday night for the first time in two years, but I wasn't playing. I was sound engineering for a band, and as as always, sound check time got eaten up with speeches, and then uh, it was a wedding. Of course, it was a wedding. Um, and we had to, basically the first song was the sound check. So I'm trying to get this kit to set behind one of those awful kind of perspexy, awful mm-hmm. screen things to try and get a kit to sound like a drum kit in a room, and it wasn't working very well. Um, but the biggest problem I had was the overheads were just just absolutely obliterating everything. The cymbals were so loud, and it was because mm. of the ceiling of the room, the, the 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 design of the room. It just didn't make it very easy to get a good noise. By the end of the first sort of 10, 15 minutes, I had a really nice mix. The vocals were sitting nicely. Even in this horrendous acoustic restaurant, um, I thought I had a really nice mix. Of course, what then happened, bear in mind this is a live gig in central London, someone said, it's too loud. (laughs) at that point, I was really like, I said to myself, and that's why I don't bother to do gigs anymore. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting. You know, uh, I think, Julian, you've said to me before, if you want to get good at mixing, do live sound. Mm. And actually, I really enjoyed it because you have to get it right. You you make nice, big, sweeping moves. You know, when the guitar solo kicks yeah. in and you know it's coming because you know the song, I gave him a good, you know, a good quarter, three quarters of an inch on the fader, um, on the virtual fader because I was mixing on an iPad. Um, and it was great. All the solos just soared in really nicely. I was like, I really had a good time doing it. I, I don't sure I want to go back to doing it three or four times a week like I was when I was playing. But, you know, it was quite good fun just to get in there with a band I never worked with before and be their front of house engineer. It was great fun. Um, but the symbols, how did you control them on the overheads finally? I told him to shut the, you know what, up. <laughs> I said, Poli- politely, you know, we're in, we're in a, con- a compromised room. You're yeah. going to have to play a bit more gently. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was going to bring that up. I was going to I don't know about you, James, but I definitely, when I'm recording here in my studio versus playing on a live gig, I play my crash cymbals way differently. I'm much gentler here in the studio. On, on a gig, you know, I can hit hard. I'm playing live. You know, you got the energy and the adrenaline. But I always deliberately underplay on them a bit for specific reasons of, you know. I've, I've almost got a flashcard made up from the days <laughs> I used to do this stuff. Of, to, the, to the drummer, it was a, hit the drums, tickle the cymbals. And to the guitarist, it was just, just don't. <laughs> because you know they go yeah sound check sound check and soon first song whack like that and yeah, yeah. it's it's it's, 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 it's sorry guitarists it? but some of your some of your representatives out in the world are really letting you down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the standard joke how do you get guitarists to turn down put the music in front of him yeah or her <laughs> shall we shall we move on to uh, we'll park this one in a a stereo compression bus somewhere, or mono, okay. depending on where we are. Uh, and let's find out about the competitions. Julian. 
Over the month of September 2019, we've got two special competitions you don't want to miss out on. You can win a copy of the amazing Arturia V Collection 7, worth €499. V Collection 7 is a stunning-sounding compilation of 24 virtual keyboard instruments, everything from acoustic and electric pianos to the groundbreaking synths from the 60s, 70s and 80s and 90s. If you're a synth head, or even if you're not, but would like to be, this isn't one to be missed. And our friends at E-Instruments have given us three copies of their acclaimed Session Keys Upright Piano Library for NI Contact as prizes for you to win. Session Keys Upright Piano has been created with the philosophy that the best piano is the one that suits the music you're making. Sometimes you need a grand piano, other times an upright piano fits better. To begin with the chance of winning either of these competitions, follow the link in the podcast notes. <coughs> Excuse me, I went to breathe and it, it kind of came out wrong. Was that because of all the dust in there, James? <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. Do you know what? I couldn't, seg- I couldn't have segued that better if you tried. Um, we're going to talk briefly about um, Dan's article, um, When Did You Last Clean Your Recording Studio? It should be a higher priority than you think. Um, clearly, for me, it should be. <coughs> I'm actually dying now. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, gentlemen. I'm, I'm going to lay my cards firmly on the mixing desk and say, I'm terrible at this. Cleaning my console is not my favourite thing to do. Yeah, I'm not good at it either. Okay, I'll lead off on this. The bane of my life to do with keeping my studio clean is paper. I hate paper. Oh, a, a, and yeah, as soon as you get paper into a studio, it's just a total nightmare. Also, because I kind of like my studio is my office, my office is my studio. Um, yeah. All my correspondence comes up here, all my notes, all my this, all my that. And then on the subject of dust, when I come to when I come to have that final clear out and I turn the six inch high pile of stuff, some of which is nonsense and some of which is actually very important, um, you can't just pick it all up and stick it in the bin. You have to go through, sort all through it, and then so much of it gets shredded. And yeah. there is nothing that creates more dust in an environment than a paper shredder. Mm. So, yeah, I don't even get me started on that. However, mercifully, I don't have that much stuff in here. James, I think that's probably your problem, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's funny, actually. Jen and I have been talking um, the last couple of days about how I can deal with the vast amount of clobber that I do have. Looks like we're going to be moving within the next year or so. So... Uh, I'm going to take out a storage unit and start shipping some of the stuff off. I know I say I have this rule about not if I, if I don't use it within a year, I don't need it. But the PA doesn't need to be in the studio cupboard, that sort of thing. So I'm thinking of getting a um, a storage lockup thing. Um, probably by the next time you, I, I'm on the podcast. I so Jen's suggestion have. of matches didn't fly then. <laughs> no, she did. She did a pro, um, suggest the Mari Kondo approach, um, which is basically. Um, Get rid of it. But um, no, I, I'm terrible at that. I do have a lot of stuff. Yes, hands held up. Um, guys, just t- tell me the one thing, though, that you do. And I'll, and I'll lead off so you get an idea of where I'm going. Um, tell me the thing that you are most proud of in your kind of studio tidying, tidying regime or regimen, depending on where you're from. Um, I will lead off with keeping cables tidy. And the re- the way I do that, uh, so I have cables that I have to hand and the stuff I use all the time. Get yourself a conventional boom mic stand, set it up normally, and then put the boom horizontal. 
If it's one of those ones with an extendable boom, that can be even more handy for when your cable, your sort of constant flow, constant use cable collection grows. But put it, put the um, bar, the boom horizontal, and use that to tidy your cables. It gets them all off the floor. Smaller cables can then go round the actual hook of the, the 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 bit that the clutch mechanism, if you like. Um, yeah, that's mine. That that's the thing that keeps my cables tidy. I, I put a boom stand. Lent over on horizontal with a boom and hang my cables on it. Anybody else got any good ones? Uh, I, I actually have, my cables are pretty neat. I have a hanging thing on the wall with little pockets that I keep my most needed and often needed cables in there. And then the ones extras that I don't often need, I keep in drawers in a, a cabinet. So I'm pretty good with keeping my cables organized. Um, so in terms of my studio cleanliness, one thing I got to say is my wife has like supersonic microscopic dust vision, like Superman <laughs> dust. I don't know. I, she, I don't see it. I, a friend of mine got a couple of years ago got me obviously an uh, unused one, but a, a paintbrush, you know, as a means of dusting to just keep a paintbrush around just for tops of speakers, tops of, you know, your that was one, that that was one for one. Between, the, between the buttons on the console. Yeah, you, yeah there's no other way to uh, clean stuff like that. But a paintbrush is great. So I have one, I'm looking at it right now. I got to take it out after we get off and do a little cleaning but dusting is the hard thing but like you julian i also have my desk is my office too with all my correspondence so you know i gotta not let it pile up too badly and you know so i keep that neat but no for cables yeah i have a nice hanging my wife made this kind of it's like a pocket thing with pockets and um and that's good and then i have a small cabinet for my cables but yeah so my one thing that i do to keep myself organized is use the paintbrush for dusting and not let the papers get too cluttered up on my desk well, my my top tip is don't have a lot of stuff just because I've had more stuff than I currently have and I got rid of most of it and I can't remember what most of it is. Yeah. Um, and the other one is um, uh, I've, uh, I mean, because I've recently moved, actually, I've kind of really had to put my house in order, as it were. But um, uh, behind me, I've got just uh, one very tall shelf unit um, uh, it's a very inexpensive, ugly thing. It doesn't matter because there's that much stuff on it. And then just like, plastic boxes, two aside, floor to ceiling, done by category, which is mm. just makes everything easy. And I have audio cables, data cables, storage, you know, like as you can imagine. And then up the side, I've got empty rack sleeves because I don't have very, the, I don't have a huge amount of rack gear. Uh, and they're just stacked up on top of each other on their sides. And it's just all that stuff is just slotted in there. So if I want to swap something out, I mean, looking at it now, what on earth's in there? One compressor, one EQ, router, eight-channel mic preamp, uh, one new power amp, you know what I mean? Headphone amp, you know, but those things that I'm not going to get rid of, but I'm, I'm not going to keep loaded up in a rack where I can access them and never touch them. Yeah, I keep mine in plastic boxes too. I have some stuff like that that I'm not ready to get rid of, but I don't need. So yeah, I keep them in, in those plastic you know, storage mm. containers. I, mean, I think nothing it's safe to say, though, that the, the three of us all work in fairly different ways. I mean... Um, I think that the big difference <laughs> is is the... Um, uh, with, with you is just the fact that you've got an extraordinary uh, level of equipment density, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That was, that was kind, great. wasn't it? It was kind. <laughs> I've, got, I'm, I've got a lot of stuff, is what, how my <laughs> wife would put it. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and a small studio, so yeah. Yes, so, yeah, it's uniquely challenging. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. 
Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you have ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be, and even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser, no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Okay, it's been a little while, so I'll just warm up. <coughs> me, 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 me. <laughs> it's time for Find of the Week. Sponsored by RSPE Audio Solutions. RSPE Audio carries nearly every great microphone you can think of, from boutique to budget. They have microphones from Sennheiser, Neumann, Earthworks, Shaw, Loughton, Peluso, AKG, Blue, Townsend Labs, and Antelope. There are probably a few more as well. And many more, says so there. Um, not sure which mic you need, RSPE's team can help. Just tell them the work you do and they will recommend a few mics. Plus, if you're in the Los Angeles area, you can book demos and try them out before you buy. You can shop online by clicking on the link or contact their team on the number on their website. You'll be able to find it. You're smart like that. So, uh, Julian, go for it. Um, well, mine's a bit dull. My find of the week is uh, I got some replacement elastics for my uh, EA1 shock mount. This is the Neumann shock mount for my TLM103. I've had that over... It's got to be over 20 years now. A million years. And um, while I could have been and got like a, one of those Rycote um, you know, universal adjustables and all that kind of stuff. The 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 Neumann one is it's it's not a cheap item. I didn't actually buy it as such because I bought the mic and the shock mounts um, uh, secondhand. But I think I think new what 180 pounds springs Ouch. to mind. I mean, it's like it's yeah. really expensive and it is extremely good. But over time, the elastic had just kind of sagged and it didn't actually work very well anymore. And I hadn't really noticed. And I was thinking about replacing it and I went, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll just see if I can get some new ones. I bought them. There's nothing exciting about that. A couple of fabric-covered elastic bands. But the find of the week is finding the motivation and the, uh, you know, just wherewithal to actually fix things I already have rather than just replace them. And I don't think I'd have bothered if it wasn't such a, a valuable mic <laughs> uh, uh, shop mount. But there we go. And yeah, look around. It was actually quite difficult to track down the right item, but got them and there we go. And uh, yeah, so don't bin it, fix it. There we go. We like that. Eli, how about you? You know, arguably the most important piece of equipment in my entire studio is my wrist brace. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I, I don't have, like, bad carpal tunnel or tendonitis or anything. But, you know, we're sitting working with the mouse for, like, eight, nine hours a day, whatever. I started, you know, years ago, I started feeling it a little bit. And I decided to, more preventative than anything, get a wrist brace to, you know, use when I'm sitting working with the mouse. And it's 15 years later and it's time for a new one. So I got a new wrist brace and wow, has the technology changed. They put it in an oven with this hard molded plastic and they mold it to your hand. And anyway, I got a new wrist brace that I'm looking forward to getting used to wearing, but uh, it helps keep my arm healthy, you know, after with all the work we do. James, what about you? Um, have I ever mentioned I have a slight addiction to microphones? Yep. Ching, someone's drinking somewhere probably. Um, well, the good folks at Synthax in the UK sent me the Loughton Audio LS308. I saw this first at the NAM show in January and went, got to try that on snare drum. 
and there is every chance this could well be the best snare drum mic ever created. It is absolutely awesome. Um, it is not only a very cool microphone sonically, it also has a 270 degree off-axis rejection, uh, meaning that if you point it at a snare drum, it's not picking up an awful lot of sound from the rest of the kit. It's impressively rejective. Is that a real term? Would, would that be a it? hypercardioid? No, I'm um, just looking at it. No, it's it's claiming to reject for the whole rear 270 degrees. Yeah. So th- no rear lobe. And I don't understand how that works. There are three diaphragms in this thing. Okay, basically. all right. I do understand how it works then. Okay. There's there's two at the front and one at, one at the rear. Um, there's a joke there somewhere, but I'm avoiding it at all costs. <laughs> it's quite a... It's quite a large thing to oh, get into wow. place. Oh, wow, I'm looking at the, at, the, at the polar plot. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah, um, it is absolutely off the chart awesome to the point where uh, I'm going to buy it because uh, how now having this, we say with, um, Julian and I worked on a piece a little while ago. Well, Julian worked on it and I provided the audio files. Um, and I was really surprised. I, I, I know you have the absolute hatred for the the SM57 on snare drum. Um, I'm not a fan of it either. I've been using a Telefunken M80 for a little while. And I thought that was really good. Put this on and went, wow, where's all that horrible, nasty, muddy noise gone that I, I was having to work quite hard to get rid of? And the, the answer is it's gone because of this amazing um, microphone. Absolutely incredible. That is um, remarkable. Yeah, I'm. I, I didn't expect to be impressed. I just thought, yeah, microphone, microphone. But no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Very very. If it cool does piece what it kit. says it does, and it sounds like you think it does, then wow. It definitely does. Uh, and as always with these sort of things, review to follow. Okay. So on that moment of microphonics genius, it's time to end. So it's good night from me. It's good night from me. And good night from me. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>